0: If you turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 11. Matthew chapter 11 verses 25 through 30. A very famous text of our Lord Jesus inviting Savior's sinners into a relationship with him. The reason why I chose this text this morning Is this, as many of you know, I am going to be going to RUF in the next couple months, and this is the vision statement of what I desire students to have in relationship with Jesus Christ. Matthew chapter 11, verse 25. Hear God's holy, inspired, and inerrant word. At that time, Jesus declared, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father. And no one knows the Son except the Father. And no one knows the Father except the Son and anyone whom the Son chooses to reveal to him. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden. And I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. And you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our Lord endures forever. I ask that you pray with me. Father, open our eyes this morning to understand your precepts. Would you enlighten all of us and help us to submit to your word this morning? In the name of our Savior, Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. We live in an era where we like to work, where productivity is honored, getting things done is idolized, where our to-do lists are upheld at all costs. We have our workaholics who have a difficulty distinguishing our work from our rest those who are unable to set boundaries that God himself has given us as humans. Not only do we live in a time where work is uplifted, we also live in a time where we like to rest. We're taking time off, flexibility with our schedules. We think of the FIRE movement, where if you are in your 20s, you seek to put away 80% of your money into retirement so then you can retire as early as you can. We think of the great resigners or the quiet quitters who, because of COVID-19, have decided that work culture is unhealthy for them and being dissatisfied by their job, have largely pulled back from their commitments. We have bestsellers like Tim Ferriss, who once called a book, The 4-Hour Workweek, something to be idolized and hoped for for the working world. We have Wall Street Journal articles, like How to Escape Your Packed Schedule, and take a rest from your work. Even in our culture outside of the church, our culture and what it means to be human sees the importance of both working and resting. We can go back to the very beginning of our Bible in Genesis chapter 1, where God himself, in laying the foundations of the world, sets a pattern where he works. He rests. He works and He rests for a period of six days moving towards the eternal Sabbath rest that He invites all of us to enter into. However, in our culture today, and even we as Christians, often want to pit one against the other. Instead of being able to take time to ourselves, we will work without the God-ordained time to recharge. We neglect our duties because of self-designated time for self-care. Even though God has set a pattern for everyone this morning, sometimes we like to talk about work over against our rest. And sometimes we like to talk about resting instead of the work God has set up for us. What are Christians supposed to do about rest? How are we supposed to be thinking of this time of rest for ourselves? Because this morning, the text we have just read The relationship in which Christ defines Christians is a free, unrestricted invitation into a relationship of rest. And it's not one where we are making sure to take every Saturday off, where we are always done by five o'clock. It's not about our anxieties, our deadlines, and our performances, but actually entering into a life defined by the rest that Jesus Christ gives us. And it goes much deeper than these promises of rest, but we actually find that balance that we spoke about between our working and our rest. Because in Matthew chapter 11, the point of our text this morning, the takeaway we have of these verses is this. Because of who Jesus is, we are invited into a life of meaningful rest. Because of who Jesus is, you today are invited into a relationship defined by meaningful rest. Because if you know the book of Matthew, this is in the midst of Christ's public ministry. He has already performed miracles. He has already spoken to the crowds for several chapters at this point. He has already given the Sermon on the Mount, perhaps the most famous chapters in the entire Bible. But after all of his work in his public ministry, John the Baptist comes to Jesus in verse 2 of chapter 11. And if you have your Bible open, you can actually look a few pages earlier in Matthew chapter 11, verse 2. And John the Baptist, who has been close to him, he is now in prison for being the one preparing the way for this Messiah. He sends his disciples to Jesus and asks Jesus a simple question. In verse 2, when John heard in prison about the deeds of Christ, he sent word by his disciples and said to him, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? You find a teacher today who has been rejected, he has been scorned, he has been detested, And now, even the very man preparing the way for his public ministry is wanting confirmation from Jesus. And essentially, the entire chapter here, leading into this invitation we have read, is Jesus lamenting about the reception that the Jewish people have given to his ministry. Because he response to John the Baptist's disciples in verse 4. But his response essentially is pointing them to there is only one person that could fulfill this promised role of a Messiah that the Old Testament people have been longing for. Because in verse 4, this is what Jesus tells the disciples, go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight, and the lame walk. Lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear. All signs and promises that were pointed back in the Old Testament of what the Messiah was going to do and Jesus is currently doing in his ministry. The dead are raised up. The poor have the good news preached to them. And blessed is the one who is not offended by me. Because of this rejection, Jesus looks not to necessarily denounce John the Baptist, but denounce the entire population of Israel. For he has been here working these miracles. He has caused the lame to walk, the dead to rise, lepers have been cleansed. He has been preaching this message of good news, which has largely gone unheard And unresponded. Because of this, Jesus goes on to rebuke the entire nation for this reception in verse 21 of chapter 11. Woe to you, Chorazin! Woe to you, Bethsaida! For if mighty works done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, pagan nations and cities... They would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ash. It's actually this denouncement that situates our text this morning, what we have read. Because after Jesus has just denounced the nations, he begins to announce God's sovereign choice and decision in what we have read. Because read again the prayer that Jesus has just given in verse 25. This is essentially a prayer of him giving praise to his father for this reception. I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. What is it exactly that the Father has hidden from this audience, but what we have just read earlier, later in our passage, in verse 27? The very fact that God has hidden these things is actually found in verse 27, that all things— had been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father." He has this position of authority that is unheard of, the only person that could fulfill this promised Messianic King that the Old Testament people have been looking for, and largely the audience, even John the Baptist himself, miss who Jesus himself was. Who is it that you see Jesus for yourself today? Maybe you still struggle with the claims of Christ, and you do not consider yourself a Christian, but you have heard enough about what Jesus has said to one degree or another. You know that he is probably a wise teacher that has given wise sayings. Perhaps he was a prophet, as we talked about in Sunday school with the kids. He was a spokesperson revealing the words of God himself to the people of Israel. Perhaps you think he's a revolutionary figure who came to topple injustice and evil at the governmental and societal level, or perhaps you just think that Jesus is some idea of what it means and what it looks like to live a good life. Maybe you're here, and most likely for many of you, you consider yourself a Christian. But to one degree or another, you you have struggled. You are convinced, while still doubting the claims of Jesus, claims of Christianity just like John the Baptist himself. You're still working out everything about the Bible and what it means to follow a person that lived thousands of years ago. Maybe you've heard of the idea of God and you like the idea of spirituality in your life, but organized religion is dangerous. You've heard of the phrase that When Pastor Will and I do evangelism on the streets, we often hear, I am spiritual, but not religious. They like the idea of God, keep the Jesus stuff to yourself. What do we see in our passage this morning of what Jesus says of himself in that prayer? In verse 27, that no one knows the Son except the Father, And no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal to him. Or as Jesus says in other gospel accounts, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. We are challenged today to view Jesus The very same way that Jesus himself saw not only his public ministry, but who he saw himself to be. The embodiment of all of those promises in the Old Testament. The second person of the Trinity, the Son of God, made flesh, came and died that sacrificial death. Rose again and fulfilled all of the promises and is inviting all people into this new kingdom. But there is no way we can think of the Israelites who were tempted to have a relationship with the Father while ignoring the Messiah. In fact, this not only just teaches us the vital role of Jesus himself, this also teaches us the sovereign choice that God made in this decision because you've heard it in the prayer. It is according to Christ, or is according to God's gracious will. It is the people that come to Jesus are those whom Jesus chooses to reveal himself. (laughs) He's not someone to place in your life, someone to occasionally seek guidance from. But he is the centerpiece, that messianic king that we have been longing to see. But if we were to stop here in that prayer, if we were to stop at what Jesus says of himself in our passage this morning, he is this exalted Messiah promised in the Old Testament at the right hand of God the Father himself, worthy of the same honor and glory as Yahweh in heaven. We may feel as if we could never gain an audience with the Messiah when we look at ourselves, when we look at who we are. And yet, what is it that Jesus does? not only does Jesus tell us who he is in his prayer, but in 28, to the end of our text, he tells us what he offers us. Because look again, look at this promise that is based on God's gracious will, whom Christ himself chooses to reveal himself. And what does Jesus do? He doesn't begin to select in the audience who is invited to come to him. He doesn't begin to pick and choose those who are worthy of this call. But in verse 28, come to me. Not just the command to come, But who is it but all who labor and are heavy laden? And I will give you rest. There are two ways that we can see this passage this morning. When we think of those who are heavy laden and laboring in this life, there's one sense in which we think, of how Jesus is speaking about the condemning nature of the law for the audience. And perhaps you yourself can feel this in your life, that you look to Scripture, you look to God's righteous standard, and hopefully, if you've gone through the Ten Commandments, you realize you do not measure up, that you hate people, in your heart, that you do not honor God with your lips, that you do not honor the Sabbath as you stood, that we can go through the list again and again, just as a beginning test of the moral law. In fact, to make matters worse for the audience of that time, not only did they have God's law, they also had the Pharisees, who... Would add burdens and laden the people with even more commitments going beyond the law. If you go to Matthew 23, later on, Jesus himself condemns the religious leadership, condemns that culture of adding those burdens to the people when he says they tie up heavy burdens, hard to bear, and lay them on others' shoulders. may be the deepest sense in which you feel burdened, laboring in this life. That your heart condemns you because of the righteous standard God has laid. You try to ignore it by pretending as if you are not as bad as you actually are compared to God's holy law. And when considering the law apart from Christ, you feel The burdens of what it does to you but not only do you see the fact of these heavy burdens that come from the condemning nature of the law but there's a second sense in which jesus is inviting all who labor and are heavy laden because we know the audience jesus has spoken to is an audience filled with anxieties and cares On the Sermon of the Mount, Jesus has spoken to people saying, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and body more than clothing? There's a real sense that Jesus is purposely ambiguous here, speaking to both How the law condemns us and gives us unrest. But simply, the unrest we feel in this life. And what does Jesus do but promise to give them rest from both of these? But the irony here, if you keep reading, is not simply giving rest, but is actually taking something upon yourself. To take my yoke upon you. And learn from me. This wooden instrument that was actually used for animals, for slaves. It was an instrument of bondage to cause people to work. And yet Jesus is telling us here that this instrument of bondage is the very means in which you find rest for yourself. Because Jesus calls himself gentle. He is not impressed by his self importance. He is lowly in heart. He cares deeply for those in relationship with himself. He tells you, you take on this yoke. Jesus paradoxically tells you, you find rest for yourself. How many want to find rest in their life today? Whether that's freedom from the guilt of the law, whether that is freedom from the unrest and anxieties and concerns of this world, whether that is going through the rat race we talked about of finding our identity in our work, <clears throat> whether that is finding our identity in the time off we have. Because he is actually speaking to every single one of us in this room today that no one, no matter what your burden is, no matter what unrest you feel in your life today, Jesus is commanding you to come forward. Lay those burdens at that master's feet. And he is the only one willing to die for servants. He offers himself something that is better than any productivity book you can offer. Because when you take that yoke of bondage that Jesus speaks about here, the yoke that he asks of you to take on, that yoke brings with you the Holy Spirit, who is actually, as a Christian, for those who are in Christ, one who is enabling you to call out to your master, the one who enables you to pray when you feel uneased. The one who is actually helping you in those burdens and in those cares, where you can actually call the burden a delight. But not only do you have the Holy Spirit, but as Jesus himself has described in this passage, you have a Savior who cares deeply about you cares for the most burdened and heavy-laden of sinners. He is the gentle and lowly Savior that is calling each and every one of us this morning to cast those fears, those guilts, that sin that we have in our life at His feet. So here's my challenge for all of us as we start to wrap up this morning. For those in Christ Jesus, for those who are seeking to follow Jesus in your life today, view the entirety of your life as a life defined by Christ's rest. Because there has crept into the church and into the Christian life an unbiblical definition of what it means to work and what it means to rest. Where so often we want to view ourselves as extremely productive and conscientious, or the carefree individual living life at the sea, where you may need to be reminded you need to turn off and you need to have time that God Himself has given you rest. You're always handing in reports. You're always brainstorming new ideas for your work. You never find a time to simply rest. You may see your life as a life of unbiblical rest, where your identity is that carefree, lackadaisical weekend at the sea at every point. You have no expectations. You have no deadline. You're always throwing things together at the last moment, and what we see in this relationship of rest from Jesus is it is not a life without work. It is actually a life where we take on a yoke. But because we have that Savior, Jesus, we actually are encouraged and find it a delight to serve that Savior. Not only should you define your life as a life of rest in the biblical sense but also for those who are seeking to follow christ this morning even if you have given your burdens to christ matthew 11 tells you to make your life a life of one giving these burdens again and again to jesus This is not assumed as an invitation where Jesus tells you to come to me, all you who are laboring and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And that's the end of the story there. That as Martin Luther, the great reformer said, the Christian life is a life of continual repentance. No matter where you find yourself today, whether you are in Christ, dealing with anxiety, dealing with burdens, dealing with sin in your life, this invitation from this Savior continues to be true for you today. That at this current moment, you are called to come forward and to lay every single one of these burdens at the Savior's feet. But finally, for those who do not know Christ. Do not consider yourself a Christian. Today, Jesus is inviting you to come because he's not unafraid. He's not restricting this call of making sure that those who are burdened and heavy laden are going to come. But this is a general call to everyone listening, That if you feel burdened by the sin, by the guilt, by the shame, by whatever it is that is holding on to you, Jesus is pleading with you to come, to cast these burdens, this sin at his feet, and he is offering you rest. Because that's actually a picture of what the gospel is all about, is that Jesus lived the perfect life that you could not live. He measured up to those standards of the Ten Commandments that we know we daily fail. Not only did Jesus live the perfect life, but he died the sacrificial death for weak, for burden, and for heavy-laden sinners. And is freely offering this relationship of rest because of his resurrection from the dead. And there will never be someone who comes to Jesus and he says, you do not fit the criteria of who I was looking for. But as he says in John 6, that whoever comes to me, I will in no wise cast out. And this is actually a picture of what we see in communion in the Lord's Supper that we get to enjoy weekly. Because this is both a picture and a reality for believers today that Christ did give his body, Christ did shed his blood for the most ungodly of sinners. And for those who partake of the Lord's Supper together this morning, you actually have this relationship of rest confirmed. You are strengthened today in your faith with Jesus Christ. And it's not because there's something special in myself. It's not because there's something special in the bread and the juice. It's because those who are in Christ, as I said, have the Holy Spirit, who are partaking of this meal by faith. And although Christ is not physically present here, The Holy Spirit himself is the one bringing you back to those promises that Christ has offered in that relationship, and that even when you are the most doubting and weak of Christians, Christ promises to use this meal today to bring you rest. But if you're here today, as we are turning to the Lord's Supper, And you don't hold on to these promises. You do not trust in Jesus Christ as the Savior from your sins that died on behalf of sinners like yourself. If you do not, if you're still working that out, I'd actually encourage you to wait, to sit back and watch as the drama unfolds. Because it's not a ritual for people to just be going through the motions and partake. It's actually a response to the grace of God that he offers to those that are in relationship to Jesus Christ. And the Bible actually tells us that if we are not Christians, if we are not trusting in these promises that Christ has died on behalf of of sinners like ourselves, it actually tells us we can do great spiritual harm to ourselves. So, but for the rest, you do not have to be a member of hope you do not need to be a presbyterian you do not you just need to be one who is trusting in the promises of Christ and what he is offering you in the, you in Matthew of rest this morning that he is giving you in Matthew chapter 11 you also must be one who can actually profess the faith the faith that we have in our passage in our Bulletin this morning that we can all say together that Paul gave us in 1 Corinthians chapter 15.